Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is taken from our Not Abandoned series, which walks through the book of Exodus, seeing how God is always with us. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Exodus 14 this morning, and we have been in our study Uh, We have, uh, I think we have four weeks left in this. We're going to actually kind of work our way all the way to the end of Exodus chapter 19. Uh, Not today. We're not doing it all in one day. (laughs) Just put that uh, in your mind this morning. But we're going to be in Exodus 14 and really the first part of chapter 15 today. And just so we are all on the same page, here's what we need to remember. The children of Israel, the Hebrew people, they have been in captivity. They've been away from the promised land. The word of God says for 430 years, they've been in captivity for at least at least 250 of those years, probably even more. And we know that they cried out to God, God, would you please uh, um, help us escape? God, would you please uh, deliver us from our captives, would you, or from our captors? Would you deliver us from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt? And of course, God answered that prayer. And God stepped in and sent a man by the name of Moses. And we were with Moses as he kind of went back and forth with God. You know, no, God, not me. Okay, God, I'll do it. No, God, not me. Okay, God, I'll do it. Aren't you thankful the times when you wrestle with God that God doesn't just quit on you? Man, I'm so thankful in the times of my life that God doesn't say, okay, you're an idiot. I'm done. Like, I'm glad glad God doesn't do that because that's my response sometimes is, you know what? I'm done with this. Man, God didn't do that. God pursued Moses. God pursues you. And God desires, he wants his best in your life. And we see that with Moses. And then finally, God, uh, Moses says yes to the Lord and goes. And all of the plagues happen before Pharaoh. And then the Passover angel or the death angel that we looked at two weeks ago. And then last week, we were watching as finally they were set free. Finally, the children of Israel, they were able to leave the promise, or, or excuse me, leave that land of captivity and begin to head uh, in, a, in a direction, but what we saw last week is God taking them in a direction that, that kind of went opposite than what you would think. You see, leaving Egypt, going back to the promised land, you would just head northeast. It's all you would do, head northeast, but they didn't. They actually just headed east and then went south. And we watched last week as the children of Israel, finally, they finally began to get out of this captivity and then set up the establishment of the, uh, um, my mind went blank, surrendering the firstborn. That's horrible. When your mind goes blank and you're in front of people. It's really bad. Uh, It's normal for me. Thanks, Tony. Uh, (laughs) I'm kidding. So they go and, and of course, they set up, establish surrendering your firstborn to the Lord and giving God your best. And we talked through a lot of that, which we're not going to recap today. You can go back and listen to that. Last week, we didn't live stream the service because we had technical difficulties, but it is online, those of you that were unable to make that. This week, Exodus 14 is where we're going to be. Before we get to the passage, I just want to ask you if you can remember, if you can remember those times when you were in a classroom whether it was grade school, high school, junior high, college, those times when the professor or teacher would get up and they would say something like, all right, for our next project, you're going to be assigned a partner. You're going to be assigned a partner. How many of you can remember one of those times? You can remember that. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I remember what I, what, what I thought when I heard that. You're going to be assigned a partner 
immediately my thought went to, okay, well, I'll tell you this, Mr. B, Mr. Bjork was his name. We called him Mr. B, sixth grade science. We're going to dissect pigs. Dale was excited about that. We're going to dissect these pigs, and I don't know everything about uh, what they were called and all this stuff. I just remember we're going to be assigned a partner, and my thought was, I really hope I either get Daniel Blim, those of you that know Daniel, I hope I can get Daniel because we'll have, we'll have a lot of fun. We won't get a lot done, but we will have a lot of fun. And then my second thought was, maybe I'll get that girl that I kind of like, because then I could write that note do you like me too? Yes or no? Circle one. The answer is always no. Yeah. But then my mind goes to, oh no, maybe I'll get paired up with Randy. Randy hates me. And I feel similar about him. And then it was, oh, what if I get Karen? Now, some of you are like, oh, Karen, no, the girl's name was actually Karen. And she was a Karen. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, but then maybe I'll get the nerd. If you get the nerd, you get an A. You remember wrestling with those thoughts when you're going to be assigned a partner? Unless you were homeschooled. Then it was like mom or sibling. I'm sorry. I apologize. You didn't have much of a choice. Man, but you're, you're going through and wondering who are you going to get assigned to? And then finally the, the day came out where, all right, your partners are posted. Here's who you're gonna be with for the next project. And there I am standing next to Daniel Blim. And I'm like, yes, I may not pass this class, but we are going to have a great time dissecting this frog together. Like guts are gonna be going everywhere and we are not gonna listen. That was kind of the mindset that I had. But you know what? When you, when you got assigned a partner, there was some nervous in it. Who, who am I going to be with? What's going to happen? What kind of grade are we going to get? But when you got the partner that you wanted, you got the partner that helped you get the A, you got the partner that when you got the right partner, man, the project was always fun. What we discovered last week is this. The children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they didn't leave alone. Oh yeah, I know, there was about 3 million people, maybe 4 million, some believe even up to 5 million people that were with them. I, I know about the millions of people, but that's not what I'm talking about. Now, when they left, here's what God said. I will go with you. God made the promise to Moses multiple times, I will be with you. And here's the, here's the thought that we have to know and we have to recognize uh, every single day of our life is this principle, that when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, here's what happens. God moves into your life. God moves into your life. And when God moves into your life, you know what he says? I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are, at the day of your salvation, you are assigned a partner for the rest of your life. And there are no cons to this partner. You're gonna pass it. You're gonna get an A on every exam that comes your way. You're gonna have fun because he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He really is the best assigned partner that we could be given. 
And today as we go to Exodus chapter number 14, I want us to see a few truths revealed about our partnership with God, about our journeying with God, about God being that one that walks with us in this life, we can learn a number of truths from Exodus chapter 14 about that partner. And so I want you to see that with me today. So let's stand. We're going to read about 10 verses. We're going to read about 10 verses, maybe 12 And then we'll jump into the message this morning. Exodus chapter number 14, beginning in verse number one, the word of God says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea and against against Baal Zephon. Before it shall uh, ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in. Skip down to verse number 10. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel, they cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? And Moses, he said unto the people, fear ye not. Hey, stand still and see the the salvation, the saving power of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Verse 21. And Moses, he stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord, he caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters, they were divided and the children of Israel, they went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Skip down to verse 27. And Moses, he stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians, they fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of the Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. When you, when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you were assigned a partner who is greater than you could have ever picked for yourself. And the truth is this, that as you travel through life, there are going to be Red Sea moments in your life. There are going to be times in your life when you are facing circumstances that are completely out of your control. There's going to be times in your life when you, like the children of Israel, will say, God, you led me here. God, you did this. God, you allowed this. So God, I need you during this time. And it's during those Red Sea moments that I believe God teaches us some of the best lessons about his partnership in our life. And so today, before we pray, to get into the word, I just want to ask you, in your life, what situation are you facing? That you're saying, God, this is is insurmountable. 
God, this is harder than I ever imagined. What Red Sea moments are there? And then I want to encourage you today to ask the Lord, God, show me your faithfulness in my Red Sea moments. God, show me how faithful you are in the trials of my life. God, show me to, show, remind me today that you are my assigned partner that I'll never regret. Would you pray that this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Would you ask the Lord, would you ask him today to help you to hear from him? Would you ask him today to show you some of the Red Sea moments in your life? And then today, would you just commit, God, if you speak to me today, I'm going to listen to you. Dear Lord, we just come before you and we just want to thank you for the day. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for how you work and how you speak into our lives. God, we thank you for the songs this morning and the, the many reasons we have to be grateful to you. And Lord, I just pray that as we go through the service that you would help us to hear from you, that you would remind us of your, uh, um, your faithfulness in our lives. And Father, that you would help us today to see the truths that you want us to see from your word. We love you. We commit the time to you. I humble myself to you today and just ask you to speak to me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. This morning, before we can really kind of get into the incredible qualities of our assigned partner, I want us to notice a couple of things. The first one I want us to see today is this, that the enemy will constantly pursue you. The enemy will constantly pursue you. Now, just to be clear right up front, our enemy is Satan. And the devil, we say it often, the devil hates you and he's out to destroy your life. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are a great picture of the consistency of the enemy to chase. Notice what takes place. If you go to our passage, we see in verse number three that, or in verses one and two, God comes to the children of Israel and he says, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to leave. Why? Because Pharaoh, he's going to say, the children of Israel, they're trapped. Remember the children of Israel, they had gone that southeast and so now they're facing the Red Sea in front of them, uh, north of them. There's kind of nothing, they're no man's land, but now they're kind of trapped between some uh, rock and a hard place, if you will. This Red Sea is right there, the cliffs are on one side, the Egyptians are uh, behind them. And so God says, hey, you guys need to get up and go because Pharaoh's gonna come after you. And what takes place? Verse number five. It was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And he said, we have, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord, he hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now remember, uh, we've talked about this, but that phrase, hardened Pharaoh's heart, it doesn't mean that God was working against the will of Pharaoh. No, Pharaoh already had a hard heart against God, and God was just allowing it to get harder. God's saying, okay, fine. All right, fine, I take my hands off. That's Romans chapter number one. 
And so the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he, Pharaoh, pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, they went out on a high hand, but the Egyptians, they pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pihaharoth before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. A little bit later, we find that pursuit continuing as the children of Israel flee further southeast. The Egyptians pursued, verse 23, and went in after them to the midst of the sea, chasing them to the brim of the sea, all of, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Egyptians, when you come to the passage, they're in a bad place. What, is, what happens? Well, Pharaoh's like, man, what are we doing? Why did we let them go? They, they were our slaves. They were our workers. They were, there's not a lot happening. Let's go after them. And so what does Pharaoh do? He, he gets his choicest soldiers, the best soldiers. He gets the best chariots. Now, a chariot at that time, it was, it was a, a great weapon for warfare. It was something that those chariots would be uh, suited in such a way that it would protect from arrows coming. It would protect from spears. People could duck down in and charge into a, a, a battle and not, not get scathed by a lot of, of the uh, entourage coming at them. And so Pharaoh, what is he doing? He's pursuing them and he's going to great costs to pursue. If you think about the children of Israel, I mean, they don't know about war. The Egyptians, they're going into a situation that they know. Children of Israel, they're naive. They don't know about handling weapons. They're an easy prey. They're a simple target. They don't know warfare. They've been slaves. They've been using picks and and shovels for, for decades and centuries, really. They're an easy target. Oh, they may pick up a chisel and think, I'm gonna stand, but really what... What fight could they have against the Egyptians? And so Pharaoh, no doubt, pursuing the enemy is just thinking to himself, huh, I've got them right where we want them. You remember, God actually said, I'm not going to take the people in chapter 13. He said this, came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not Uh, through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said this, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. And so what did God do? He led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. God even knew. God knew if if war comes to them, they're dead. (laughs) They're goners. And so Pharaoh knows that as well. What's the simple thought we're seeing this morning? It's this, that the enemy, he's relentless. Hey, Pharaoh's just gonna keep coming. We revisit this topic often in scripture and here at the church, but just because you have Jesus Christ as your savior doesn't mean life is all hunky-dory. You know why? Because you have a real enemy. Oh, he's your enemy before you trust Christ, but when you trust Christ, you know what goes on you? A bullseye. 
And dad, there's a bullseye on you on leading your family for the Lord. And mom, there's a bullseye on you on, on being that parent within the home that helps uh, keep the role of dad and, follow, and have the kids help follow. And hey, there's a bullseye on you teenagers. And our culture has a bullseye on the kids and on the singles. Our culture has a bullseye on, on you college age singles. Listen, the devil hates you and he is gonna do anything he can. He's gonna do anything he can to discourage cause fear in your life. He's going to do anything he can to cause you to step back and say, whoa, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. The same is true in our passage. Children of Israel, we can't fight. Oh no, what's going to happen? We'll see their fear, doubt, and discouragement in just a second. But they're, they're thinking, we can't do this. And man, the enemy knew that. And the devil knows. The devil knows that you have no strength in and of yourself. The word of God says that our enemy is relentless. He is the accuser of the brethren all day and all night. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 10 says, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God, before our God day and night. Hey, Satan is before God accusing you and I all day, every day. Peter warned it this way, you know the verse, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, your enemy, the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing you can know this, that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. What's that mean? Hey, the devil's after them too. You're not the only one. No, the devil is out to get you. I see this morning that the enemy, he's going to constantly pursue, but I want you to notice secondly, that fear will constantly cripple you. As you move forward in this Christian life, in your Christian journey, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, the devil's coming after you and fear is debilitating to the Christian. Where do we see it? Look at verse number 10. Remember, Egypt, Pharaoh is pursuing after the people of Israel and what happens when Pharaoh drew nigh the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes and they look, remember the Red Sea's in front of them, the hills are beside them, there's nowhere to look, and they look back, and they see Pharaoh, and the Egyptians marched after them, and it says that they were sore afraid. They were sore afraid. That phrase, sore afraid, is made up of words that would kind of give us this definition. They were shaken to the core with fear. <laughs> they were sore afraid. It wasn't just like, oh no, what's gonna happen? It's like, we are dead men. This is miserable. We're all going to die. And they were shaken in their boots, so to speak. Their fear was visible. Later on, Moses will say to them, hey, don't be afraid, defining their fear. Well, why were they so fearful? Remember, they didn't know warfare. They, they look at this. We read the verse just a minute ago, and it says that Pharaoh pursued and was overtaking them. What does that mean? He was gaining ground. They saw it. And their fear was visible. Their fear was crippling. They don't know how to, how to fight, how to defend themselves. And we're quick to condemn them, but we know the story. They weren't reading the story. They didn't, know, they didn't go, oh, well, Pharaoh's there. It's all right. He's part in the Red Sea. We got this. They didn't do that. 
No, for them, things look bad. For them, they're already defeated. For them, they are being overtaken already. They're cornered. They're hearing the army. They're seeing the dust stir up. In front of them is the insurmountable Red Sea. Behind them is the bloodthirsty, revenge-filled, hurting, and, and aggressive Egyptians. And their focus at this time is upon their enemy and upon their circumstances. And what does it do? It causes them to cower and to cave in fear. Did you read their response when we read it a minute ago? Here they are. And they said this, it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. What is speaking? Fear is speaking. If you were with us in the beginning of our series, when they were in Egypt being persecuted and tortured and even put to death there, their cry was, God, don't you even care? You're going to let your people be enslaved in Egypt? And they were complaining about the, uh, the miseries that were there in Egypt. And yet now they are speaking from fear and they're saying things like, I wish I never would have left. Saying things like, man, death is second place to serving in Egypt. You know, when we focus upon our circumstances, fear will cripple us. You and I, we are no match for the enemy. And fear, like I said a minute ago, it is debilitating. And when we focus upon our circumstances, fear speaks into our life as well. Isn't it truth that when you and I are looking at a situation or something that is before us, a trial or a circumstance that's before us, fear uses a megaphone it just, it just uses a megaphone to speak into our life. And how many people, how many Christians do you know and how many uh, loved ones do you have that fear literally just stopped them from making some decisions that they could have and should have made? Hey, the enemy will constantly pursue you. The fear will constantly cripple you. Notice the third thought today is that doubts will constantly discourage you. Fear stops you and then doubts begin to speak into your voice or into your mind. <clears throat> Notice verse number 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lift up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid and the children of Israel, they cried out unto the Lord. This wasn't crying out unto the Lord in the sense of turning to the Lord. No, this, is what, this, this means to cry in sarcasm. That's basically what they did. They say unto Moses, oh, oh, because there weren't enough graves in Egypt, you brought us out here, taking us into the wilderness to die. Wherefore have you led, uh, has dealt, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I think it's funny because as they go through with their complaints, their complaints, you can sense their fear, you can sense their doubt, but their doubts, their doubts were conveyed in lies. Hey, Moses, we told you to leave us alone. No, they didn't. There was one time when it was Pharaoh, when before Pharaoh, they said, hey, right at the very beginning, hey, Moses, things are getting worse. We don't see it going up from here. Could you, could you not go to Pharaoh again? There was one time at the very beginning 
But I didn't, I didn't hear them after the uh, plague of flies or frogs or lice. They didn't say, leave us alone after the death angel. No, they, they, didn't, they didn't say that. Hey, we, we, it would be better for us to die there. Was that the truth? No, it wasn't the truth. Hey, you brought us out here to die. God delivered us to kill us out here. That wasn't the truth. Man, doubts, doubts lie into our life. You can sense their discouragement. Their fear and anxiety led them to a place of great discouragement. I mean, they're not a people of military strength. They are in this indefensible situation. They, they know their children don't know how to stand. They know the strength of Pharaoh and his people. And what a huge test of faith. The Hebrews, they're complaining and their complaints are filled with doubt that causes them to just respond in sarcasm. What a group of people. What a group of people who just complain at what God is doing. I mean, think with me. Think about all the answered prayer that they had just seen. They had just watched God literally turn water into blood. They had watched God bring frogs, lice, boils, locusts, disease, and more upon their enemies. They had just witnessed the mercy of God in the Passover lamb. They, on top of that, their prayers for deliverance had just been answered. And yet now they're responding in doubt. But here's my question. Why do we do that? You see, we are so, why are we so quick to judge God and his motives when struggles, fears, and discouragements come up? How soon we forget. Our circumstances, when we focus on them, often our circumstances, fear and doubt speak into our life and they say, yeah, I know God did that one time, but he can't do this. Our doubt says, God's got it out for me. I just know it. Our doubt says, hey, he's not faithful. You know, just because things sometimes don't work out the way I think they could, or just because I can't figure out things in the moment, just because I can't see what God is doing, doesn't mean that God is not up to something. And it certainly doesn't mean that God is, in, God is not in control anymore. And how soon we forget, how soon we allow doubt to overtake our heart, our mind, and our fellowship and fellowship of the Lord. And our circumstance, one, oftentimes one circumstance changes our entire opinion of God, and that's what we see happening for them. One circumstance changed their opinion. Red Sea before them, Egyptians behind them, we're goners, God hates us. So, here we have the enemy will constantly pursue us. Fear will constantly cripple us. Doubt will constantly discourage us. Aren't you glad it's Thanksgiving week? Because those are really positive thoughts, aren't they? Well, here's where we come to really just the point of the whole message is this, that God will constantly fight for you. Yeah, the enemy's gonna pursue. Yeah, fear is gonna cripple you. Yeah, doubt's gonna come up in your life and discouragement, but hey, God promises to fight for you. Notice the verses. Verse number 13 and 14, Moses said unto the people, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again 
no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Now, again, I, I, I know we can't do this, but I, I, almost wish, I almost wish there was some way that we could like flip a little trigger in, in our mind uh, to erase us knowing the rest of the story. You know what I mean? Like, I wish we could do that because we know the Red Sea's coming that we know how God is going to do this. Okay, they did not, they had no clue. All right, now let's put, our, let's put ourselves in their mindset. They had never seen war. So in their minds, are they thinking, okay, God's gonna enable us to defeat them in a military fashion? No, they're not thinking that. Do you think they're thinking, okay, God's going to take us across the Red Sea? No, they're not thinking that. In their minds, they're going, okay, there's hills and cliffs on the side of us, the Red Sea in front of us, the Egyptians behind us. God's gonna do something. (sighs) What are you gonna do? (laughs) You know, in your life and in my life, in your life and my life, sometimes God's plans don't make sense to us until we look back. It's when you look back that you go, oh, now I know what God was doing. And yet here we have God telling them, stand still and you, you will see the, the peace of the Lord. It's God saying, hey, you're about to watch me work. God tells Moses, go tell the people this, don't be afraid. Stand still, that means to uh, place yourselves in. That phrase, stand still, I love, I love it in uh, verse number 14 or 13. When it says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, the idea would be, would be uh, place yourself in the saving power of God. Dennis, come here, hurry, come here real fast. When it says stand still, it doesn't mean to just like, okay, just, all right, stand still, stop. Let's all stop. No, it means you're about to watch God work. So bring yourself under that. Place yourself in. It's saying, I place myself in the power of the Lord. I'm so if I'm the Lord, I know I'm a bad representation right now, but it's okay. If I'm the Lord and, and this is Egypt, or this is uh, the Hebrew people, he's saying, hey, stand still, place yourself in and see, watch me work. And then he says, and you're gonna hold your peace. Do you see that at the end of that? What's that mean you're gonna hold your peace? It means you're gonna find complete rest in this whole situation. There's not gonna be turmoil. All the fear, all the wrestling, all the discouragement, It's not gonna be there anymore, but you have to choose something. What do you have to choose? Stand still, find yourself in, see and be looking for the salvation of the Lord. Thanks, you did a great job of standing still. To them, this is an almost unthinkable promise, but here's what they need to know and here's what you and I need to know. The God that brought you to the edge of the sea, he knew the sea was there. Hey, God knows what's in front of you. God knows what's behind you. And what does God do? He promises to fight for you. Now, for the children of Israel, how did God fight for them? For you and I on our Christian journey, how does our incredible assigned partner fight for us? Well, for them and for us, number one, we need to know this, that he will shield you from the enemy. He will shield you from the enemy. 
If you go to the story, we're not gonna take time and read through all of these things, but if you go to Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, you find that, remember that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire that we saw last week at the end of chapter 13 that was going to lead the people? Here's what God does. God puts that pillar in between the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. And here's what it says. It's an incredible, incredible two verses, verse 19 and 20, that the pillar to the people of Israel at nighttime, it was like daytime. It was light out there so that they could see. But for the Egyptians, it was utter darkness the entire time that that cloud was there. And then what God do? It was during that time that the Lord said, Moses, lift up your staff over the sea. And then God drew a wind and that wind blew the sea. See, you, when you and I think about the parting of the Red Sea, we think that it's like Charlton Heston, right? Those of you that have seen that, if you're old enough to know that, right? The Charlton Heston version of parting the Red Sea. And what does he do? He just gets up there, you know, and as, as only he could, he puts his hands up and then that sea is like, you know, we're like, yeah, that's not how it worked. No, the Bible says that Moses lifted up his hand, lifted up the rod over the sea, and then an east wind, a wind, began to blow the water. The children of Israel, they're looking. It's like day. The nighttime's like day, and they're just watching, like, what's going on? The wind's just blowing, and it's not, it's not parting real quick. It's just, it's blowing. The Egyptians, they can't see anything. Hey, you know what happens in life? God promises. Listen, this is a promise from God. God promises that when you stand still in his power, when you find yourself sheltering in him, he promises to be a refuge from you, a refuge for you from your enemy. That's all throughout scripture. You can go to places like 1 John chapter four, it says this, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Psalm 46, verse number seven, the Lord of hosts is with us and he is a refuge unto us. Isaiah 41 and verse number 13, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Hey, you know what God does in your life and my life? While the enemy is persistent and the enemy is aggressive, God says, hey, I will fight for you. Lean into me and I will shield you from the enemy. I say, pastor, what does that look like? I don't know. It looks differently for everybody. But I do know there are times in my life and you've been there too and we could talk about spiritual warfare right now. We could, we could talk about spiritual warfare and demonic forces and things of that nature. And I don't wanna uh, turn this into one of those services, but I could tell you a story where Hannah uh, was at a, at a Goodwill, at our Goodwill, Moses Lake Goodwill. And there was somebody that came in that was a demon possessed person that she, she knew it. And this guy was just following her around and staring at her and saying Bible words to her. It was just, it was weird. And she, she you can ask her, she felt un, like an oppression at that moment. She said, I found myself tucked away in the toy, toy area of goodwill, looking, peeking out. And that guy was still standing there, just staring, mumbling things. And she says, in that moment, I just said in my heart, God. She was gonna say, God, I need you. But as she got out, God in her heart, true story, that guy went, okay, fine, I'll leave. 
and turned around and walked away. Hey, tell me the enemy isn't trying to distract you and discourage you, and yet God says, I'll fight for you. Now, I'm not talking about every little thing in life is the devil. Oh, I had a guy following me one time. No, that's just because he's a weirdo, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, oh, I remember that one. I had one guy, I was sitting on a plane one time. He was like, oh, man, I had this encounter with the devil. I was sitting in my recliner, and the TV came on. The guy next to us, true story, guy next to us goes, you probably just sit on the remote, bro. <laughs> I was sitting on that plane. I was like, thank you for saying that. That was awesome. <laughs> hey, listen, we can't, we can't all the time over-spiritualize things, but we do need to understand that in your life, the devil desires to attack you. And God says, hey, I'll shield you from this. How else does our assigned partner, how else does he fight for us? Well, number one, he shields us from the enemy. Number two, he will silence your fears. Hey, God will silence your fears. How does he do this? In our passage, in verses 15 down through verse number 18, he silences their fears by reminding them of his promises. Hey, didn't I say I would deliver you? Hey, you're gonna see today that I am more powerful Hey, you're gonna see the salvation of the Lord. Hey, lean into my promises and I will dispel your fear. Okay, don't miss that. Lean into my promises and I will dispel your fear. He dispels their fear and silences their fear by causing them to pay attention to the promises. Isaiah 44, eight tells us that God time and time again says to us, fear ye not, neither be afraid Have not I told thee that from that time and have declared it that you are my witnesses? Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I I know not any. This is God saying, I don't know anybody like me. You can trust me. 1 John 3, 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Hey, you know what God wants to do? He wants to speak promises into your life to say, I've got this. And then thirdly, God will defeat our doubts and encourage our heart. How does he fight for us? Man, he'll silence our fear, but he also will defeat your doubt and encourage your heart. Now, how does he do both of those things? How does he silence our fear? How does he encourage our heart? It's both of them are reminding us of the promises of God. Do you know what God does? To increase our faith, to increase our faith, God takes us to his word. And his word is filled with promises. And at the times in your life when you are filled with fear, doubt, or discouragement, there's not gonna be, listen, there's not gonna be some lightning strike from heaven. (laughs) They're gone, Red Sea, Charlton Heston. (laughs) That's not gonna happen. Now, you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna say, hey, stand still and see my salvation. Hey, Hey, lean into me and experience my power. Look at the promises. Hey, have not I told you you're not alone? Hey, haven't I told you that I've got this? Hey, haven't I told you that you can trust me? Hey, haven't I told you that I'll handle these things if you put me first? Hey, haven't I told you? And all these, all these times in our lives, you and I, we allow doubt and fear to speak louder and God is trying to use his word to give us direction, trying to use his word to give us his power, trying to remind us 
passages like 1 Peter 5.10 when he says, The God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, he will make you perfect. He will establish you. He will strengthen you. He will settle you. Paul wrote it this way to the believers of the church at Thessalonica. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Hey, he will comfort your hearts. And he will establish you in every good word and work. You know what God wants to do in your life and mine? He wants to draw us closer to him to understand he will fight for us. So stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. How does he fight for us? He brings us Red Sea moments. What are, what are Red Sea moments? Well, for the children of Israel, it really was a Red Sea moment. <laughs> What happened? That east wind came and it blew the sea back. And what are the children of Israel? You know the story. What'd they do? They crossed over on dry land. Man, over three, even if it's, if it's just two million people, that's going to take a while. That's going to take a while. We're designing the property for the, uh, many of you know, for the, the new church building. And we have, we just got the 100% uh, designs done. And I'm excited to show them to you at the beginning of next year. But as we're talking with our architect, he said, now listen, when we first got into it, he is like, now listen, you have to have a big foyer at your church. And you have to have multiple entrances and exits from the auditorium. Now I knew that, but he, he reiterated that. And I said, oh man, yeah, thanks for reminding us. We got to do, okay, let's, and we're building things. I don't, he says, I don't think that's big enough. I think you need more space in that, in that area right there. Speaking of foyer and those doors going in, why? Because he knows to get a lot of people in and a lot of people out, it's going to take some time. Many of you know, because you stand, someone gets caught talking to me and you stand back there and you're like, what is going on? Good night. Are we on a six flag ride or something? This is crazy. It's taking forever. And then you walk by and don't even say hi to me and hurt my feelings and everything. <laughs> I'm kidding. We know that when you move multiple people, it takes some time. Can you imagine taking 2 million people? No wonder the cloud had to be there. God was like, hey, this is going to take some time. You know what the Red Sea moment was? The Red Sea moment was a time that was recorded in Israel's history as a God moment. Hey, this is something only God could do. This is something that it took some time. It didn't happen the way that we thought it would, but it is something that only God can do. And you know what? In your life and in my life, sometimes our Red Sea moments, those are moments when it is only God that could do it. Hey, it's only God that gave that clean bill of, clean bill of health. Hey, it's only God that, that helped me during that financial situation. Hey, listen, it was only God that helped that relationship struggle. It was only God that saved my child when they were young. It was only God that did this. But then you want to know something else? It was only God that allowed that person to pass away. It was only God that didn't answer that prayer request the way you thought it should be answered. It was only, we, we like to look at the times when God does work and say, that was God. And the other times, God forgot me. No, 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 no. It was all only God. And you know what they are? They are Red Sea moments. And what, what happens in Red Sea moments? Red Sea moments are God's greatest platform to show his glory. Red Sea moments, they're God's greatest platform to show his glory. And you know what you, know what you and I need to do? We've got to come back to the place like Asaph when he wrote Psalm 77. When you go to Asaph and he wrote Psalm 77, he says to God, God, there's a lot going on. God, my situation is insurmountable. God, I can't see a way out. But verse number 19, here's what he says. But thy way is in the sea 
and thy path is in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. What is he saying? He's saying this, if, I can, if God can part the sea, he can definitely take care of me. That's what Asaph was saying. Your ways are the ways of the sea. You, you part the sea. Your ways are not known. Asaph was saying, God, here's an insurmountable situation, but God, you answered them. And I know that if they can trust you, I can trust you. What a great principle for us to understand that if we can trust God for the big things in life, then we can trust him for everything. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've trusted him for salvation, you can trust him in everything. Paul said it this way, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God has given us his best and his greatest in his son, then we can trust that he will keep giving to us. We can trust that he is a God who is in control. And some of the greatest difficulties in our life come, they become the greatest platform that God uses to receive glory in our life and to prove his love and his care for us and his grace in our life. I can look at our family and I can think of some of the darkest, deepest valleys that we have traveled through. And yet God used those to show himself and to prove that he was faithful. And time and time and time again, our family is drawn back to that time and said, God was with us then and he'll be with us now. I think of when my brother died, I was six years old and my mom will talk about this. And now, you know what? Tears still come every now and then. My brother was born in May, died in October. I came downstairs and found my brother not breathing as a six-year-old. I didn't know what to do. I went back upstairs. Many of you heard the story. I'm trying to repeat it a bunch, but went back upstairs, talked to my sister who was 14 at the time. And she said, call, call 911. True story. I said, what's the number? She was like, Dennis, just pick up the phone and dial 911 and give them our address. And I told them, my brother's not breathing. Here's our address. And they came and long story short, my brother's on life support for 72 hours. And they went home to be with the Lord. And I watched my parents go through a dark valley. But I can tell you my mom right here, sitting right here, and she's not tearing up. It's about, about time, mom, you didn't tear up when I'm telling a story. Mom, mom's not tearing up over here right now. She'll tell you. There have literally been hundreds of people that my parents have been able to help because of their valley and others who have walked through that valley. And other times, maybe it was a different situation that, that she or my dad would step into a situation, a conversation and say, hey, listen, hey, we know what you're going through. We, we've been there, but God is faithful. And the statement, the statement that was said to them, I have used in hundreds of trauma counseling opportunities to tell people this, you will not get over it, but by God's grace, you can get through it. That statement was said to my parents in 1989, has stuck with me ever since then. Now, pastor, why are you saying all this? I just wanna say there are Red Sea moments in your life that you can say, if I can trust God then, I can trust God now. This job situation, this relationship struggle, this financial difficulty, this teenager, this spouse, this whatever. Hey, if I trust God, trusted God then, I can trust him now. And so here's what I wanna tell you to do with your Red Sea moments. Skip down to verse number 30 and 31 and we're done. Thus saith, or thus the Lord saved Israel that day by the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord. They believed Moses and his servant. Go to verse number one of chapter 15. 
Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider, and hath, uh, hath he thrown into the sea. If you go the first 22 verses of Exodus chapter number 15, it's a psalm or a song of praise to God. Here's what Israel did. Israel, you know what the Psalms are? The Psalms are Israel's history recorded in words and put to music for all generations to know. You know what Israel did? They got it. God worked in our life. We wrote it down and we repeat it for people to know. God worked in our life. We wrote it down and we repeat it for all generations to know. <clears throat> so here's what I'll say to you. Here's what God spoke to me about. There are times in my life when I lack the faith that I need in God. During those times, I need to come back to the principles and the promises of God to say, God, if you worked then, I know you can work now. And then when God works Record it. Write it down somewhere. Journal the goodness of God. The Bible actually says in multiple places that we should sing a new song unto the Lord. You know why he says sing a new song unto the Lord? And even that's even talking about songs in church. Hey, there have been some great hymns that have been written in history past. You know why those hymns were written? To record something or some, some way God worked in that person's life. Then sings my soul, how, how, God, how great you are. Why was that written? Because God worked in that person's life and he wanted to record it for all generations. But then God said, hey, keep writing songs. That's why someone will come up and say, pastor, why do we keep learning new songs? Because God said to. Because if we get stuck in the old, then we're repeating all of their blessings. Hey, God blessed you today. God's, God's spoken into your life today. So write it down, record it, sing a new song unto the Lord. What is that saying? God not only is the God of past generations, God is the God of my generation. And in 20 years, he's the God of their generation. Well, I just, you know, I don't like some of the songs that these new writers are writing. Then write one yourself. <laughs> well, I don't like the old hymns. Hey, they're there to repeat it so that you can remember. They're all good. Well, not all of them, but they're all good. The, the doctrine of them, the good ones, the doctrine of them. What, why would we do that? Because it's a Bible example. When God works in your life, record a Red Sea moment because there's gonna be another time down the road. Like when the children of Israel get to the Jordan River and they go, ah, what are we to do? And Joshua says, hey, Red Sea. Look back to the Red Sea. God worked then. And God can work now. Don't miss and don't forget the Red Sea moments in your life. And so here's my two questions. In your life, what are you claiming to be impossible right now? Hey, what are you looking at and saying, God, there's no way. God, there's no way. Hey, if you're at that point today, would you say, God, would you remind me of your principle? Remind me of your promises and would you say, God, help me to remember another Red Sea moment when I said there was no way. 
Whatever you're facing in life that is challenging your faith, you have a God that is greater. And God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Hey, rest in my peace. Hey, rest in my embrace. Come on in, let me, let me do this. And you need to have it made up in your mind that even if God doesn't answer it the way you want him to, it's still a Red Sea moment for God to receive glory from your life. And God will. What moment, what, what, what faithfulness, what area of faith are you being challenged in today that you need to say, God, remind me of the Red Sea moments. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.